Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Exodus 13, 17, and uh, Israel is about ready to cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh's in hot pursuit, uh, but uh, God had a plan for how to deliver his people, and we've seen the movie and read the book, so we kind of know how that ended. Uh, but, uh, and we won't get into this today, but there's, uh, the song of Moses is in this week's Torah study. There's actually two Psalms of, uh, songs of Moses. And, uh, we'll, when we get to heaven, we'll find out which one is sung in heaven. Cause Revelation 15 says they sang the song of Moses in heaven after the tribulation. Uh, we also in this study find out how it's so easy uh, if your life is only built on miracles, it's easy to lose faith if the miracle doesn't come. And it led uh, Israel to complain when there was a lack of food and water. Uh, God sends the manna, he sends the quail, uh, and this is where the water comes from the rock. Uh, but uh, that's even not good enough. Israel still complains. And at the end of this Torah study, Amalek attacks. So there's a lot we could unpack out of that. Uh, but what uh, really got, uh, caught my eye uh, this week was an interesting uh, description about how God led Israel out of Egypt. And uh, it begins at the very first uh, of the Torah study in Exodus thirteen seventeen. You can turn there if you brought your Bible. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the land of the Philistines, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war... They might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. And so uh, all the great Jewish commentators give different reasons why God did what he did. But if you look closely at the, the scripture here, it says... God gives a thought-provoking answer. It really uh, provoked my thinking as I studied this this week. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And uh, I got stuck on that. What an amazing statement. How on earth could Israel ever want to return to Egypt? After 200 years of bondage to Pharaoh... And the brutal realities of slavery, you would think nothing, and I mean nothing, would ever make them want to go back to Egypt. And yet here, following all the miracles, all the promises, God is revealing something about the human heart and how easily it is to be deceived. It's mind-boggling. 
that Israel would ever change their minds and return to Egypt. But it's true. And so I thought to myself as I'm studying this, man, this this sounds like the Stockholm Syndrome to me. I don't know if you're uh, acquainted with what the Stockholm Syndrome is, but the Stockholm Syndrome is an emotional and uh, psychological condition in which the hostages develop a weird connection to their captors. And even though it's totally irrational, a bond is formed between the captor and the captive. And there are numerous reasons why this bizarre condition, the Stockholm Syndrome, develops. But whatever triggers it, it comes down to some strange survival mechanism that I'd rather go back to slavery then stick with God and let him take us wherever he wants to take us. And sure enough, in the very next chapter, Exodus 14, this syndrome pops out. This syndrome of going back to their captors, going back to slavery, back to oppression, back to sin and immorality and bondage. They actually, when Pharaoh descends on them with his army, he's got Israel cornered, and they cry out against Moses and against God. And it says, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What about all the miracles? (laughs) You just had a year's worth of miracles. And you think God did all of that just to bring you out in the desert and have you die. But that's what they're thinking. It goes on. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? What are you talking about, Israel? They got some kind of syndrome. Maybe it's the Stockholm syndrome. They're in love with the ones they should hate. I should hate Egypt. (laughs) And then it, it even goes on. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. I don't remember reading that. So now they're inventing things. Right? Did you ever hear any time during that? Maybe at the very beginning when they added all the extra, you know, make bricks with no straw. But I didn't see that as a rallying cry. Leave us alone. Let us serve you. They see the plagues and they, they side with the Egyptians. No, they didn't. They're making stuff up though. And then they cap it off by saying it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians rather than to die in the desert. Oh my gosh. I was watching that movie, uh, Harriet. Uh, you got to see that movie, Harriet, Harriet Tubman. It just uh, is a fantastic movie. And at one point, she says, I will do whatever I have to do to slay the monster of slavery. They could have used Harriet's attitude. Was it the Stockholm Syndrome? Sounds like it. But whatever it was, you can see that Israel is in a spiritual and emotional and psychological dilemma. And it's this bizarre dilemma that they're in that God needs to address so he doesn't 
take them the shortest and easiest route. He takes them to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh thinks he's got them right where he wants them. So as I'm studying this out this week, I was reading Rabbi Sachs's article on crossing the sea. Really got my attention. Because he helps to explain why God led them to the Red Sea. And his answer was amazing and intriguing. And uh, it's connected to something that Julius Caesar did. Remember that name, the famous Roman emperor Caesar, Julius Caesar? he, He connects what's going on with Israel and what God was doing that Caesar employed, something known as crossing the Rubicon. I had never heard this, but I guess in Europe it's pretty common saying crossing the Rubicon, a river in Italy. Uh, and this concept of crossing the Rubicon has become a military strategy. So basically, Caesar wants to maintain his power as a general, and he wants to become the ruler of the Roman Empire. But he's been out on the battlefield with his legions, and his political opponents don't want any part of him coming into Rome. And in fact, there's a law that says you can't march your legions and army into the city of Rome. It was forbidden. And the penalty was execution. But Caesar knew if he didn't make some kind of dramatic move, he would be forced to give up all his military glory, any ambitions for a political future, and in all likelihood he would be exiled forever from Rome. So here he and his legions are on the banks of this river, the Rubicon River. And this river, Rubicon, became a dividing line. It became, as it were, a point of no return. That if I cross this river, there's no going back. And he did cross the river. He's quoted to have said at that point, let the die be cast. I'm rolling the dice and let the chips fall where they may, but we're going forward into Rome. And he marched into Rome and became Julius Caesar, became uh, the emperor of Rome. And now, centuries later, this phrase, crossing the Rubicon, is still known as a metaphor for life. And it describes someone who makes a daring commitment to an irreversible and unchangeable course of action. Now, you may be familiar with uh, this example, the uh, famous Spanish explorer and commander Cortez back in the 1500s who led his army of ships into Mexico and he was going to conquer Mexico. Uh, but he was going to face the Aztecs, and they were a formidable foe. And uh, uh, he knew to accomplish his mission meant that he was going to have to go to war, but the odds of winning the war were somewhere between slim and none. So he gave the famous order, burn the ships. 
And he had his men burn all the ships. Why? Because there would be no way of retreat, no way of escape, and it would eliminate all this possibility of some way out of this thing if it didn't go. So basically, they either had to win the war or try dying. So... What does all that have to do with us today? A lot. Because when it comes to fulfilling our destiny in God, moving forward with the Lord, we're all going to have our unique, critical time. We're all going to come across our own crossroads. And we're either going to leave a way out and go back to the world, Or we're going to arrange circumstances and make commitments in our lives so that there's no possibility I'd ever go back. There's no way of retreat when I pray this altar call prayer. What I'm doing with Jesus means that I am all in. I'm crossing the Rubicon.